Yeah, that's my new favorite song, Forever Young. Some of you identify with that, right? You know, I remember, don't you? Um, and it's exciting that I can remember when I was in high school. Uh, coming out of high school, I really didn't know what I was going to be doing. Uh, college was the concept. And, but because I was an action-oriented guy, it started early in life. I, I played with all the little action figures back then that were rubber soldiers, you know, and I did that. And then when I was 10, I remember a group of us got together and we played Army. <clears throat> Do not try this at home. We used BB guns. Um, I just loved action. You know, I went to college and went to a military school for the first two years and joined the aggressor platoon so that I wouldn't have to sit around on the weekends. I was actually out doing maneuvers with Army guys because I loved action. Became an undercover investigator, loved action. So I'm an action-oriented guy, and that's what I share with Mark, who wrote the second book in the New Testament. He is an action-oriented guy. You know, Mark was the son of Mary, the cousin of Barnabas who traveled with Paul, and Mark himself actually traveled with Paul. And when he writes, he's writing from a perspective that he gained from the apostle Peter, because Mark did not actually sit under Jesus' ministry, but he sat under Peter. So when he presents his gospel, which may very well be the first one that was written, he wants us to know something very simple. And for the next 16 Sundays, we're going to be talking about this book called Mark, the Gospel of Mark, because in it is a simple message of a man of action. And that's how he captures Christ. He starts it off by saying, the Son of God. He wants to show the origin of his thinking with everything he's going to write. So he lets us know, this is going to be exciting. It's a simple message. It's a message about what he said and what he did. He leaves out a lot of stuff that the other apostles wrote about, and you can pick it up from them. But this is a fun gospel because every single chapter has something in it that's challenging to you and to me. So as we go into it today, we enter this first chapter where we see a lot of miracles happening because Jesus is involved, and then we come to a place where Christ is ready to put a halt to a few things because it's time to go to bed. So in that first chapter of Mark, coming down to the 35th verse, we pick up and read it there. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. What are we going to learn today from this, from the Word of God? First of all, Jesus was a man of passion. He understood his purpose in life. That's a challenge for all of us, trying to find that purpose in life. I was 28 years old when God pulled me into the kingdom, saved me, and gave me purpose. Till then, I was floating all over the map, no purpose. But when you get God's purpose, you need to hold on to it. Secondly, you don't want to let anybody take that purpose away from you or change that purpose. 
And thirdly, you want to live that purpose out. So that's what we're going to see today in these short verses. And the first one is this, that God's purpose is your starting point. Until you know for sure what it is that God wants you to do, you can't get started. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. What had happened prior to that? Well, let me give you the backstory. Peter's mother-in-law had a home, and she was ill. Peter invited Jesus to come there. He went, he healed her. She then began to fix a meal, and word got out that this prophet, this man of God, was in town and that he had healed Mary. And so all the people start coming. There are about 1,500 people in the town at that time, so they couldn't all come at once, but they start coming, and what happens? Jesus heals them. Jesus casts demons out of them. All the while, he is preaching and he is teaching because this was a standard day in the life of Christ. He would preach, he would teach, he would heal, he would cast out demons, and then he would go to sleep. So the night had come after all of this healing process, and Jesus was resting there in the house somewhere. But he got up early while it was still dark. Now it turns light at 6 a.m., in that region of the world at that particular time. So he was up before then, and he went off to a solitary place. Now let me explain this. Jesus knew his purpose, but sometimes we get it confused. Because in the scriptures it tells us he came to seek and to save the lost. You know, he came to redeem us from our sins. We know all of that. And I'm going to be bold enough to say those are side effects of his real purpose for coming. His purpose for coming was to glorify the Father. And to do that, he needed to be perfectly obedient to everything the Father asked him to do. And even the Father didn't want the Son to be alone. And you may remember the passage where John the Baptist is baptizing and Jesus comes and he is baptized by John, and God said, the one upon whom you see my spirit rest, that is the Messiah. And he saw a dove coming down out of heaven, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. So here's Jesus now with the Spirit. He has that same Spirit in him, two parts of God, the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Spirit and Jesus go out to meet with the Father early in the morning. Why? To fulfill that communion that's necessary, that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit could get together so that Jesus, who already understands his purpose, which is to proclaim the kingdom of God, the fact that he is the king of that kingdom, that he redeems, to expand that kingdom, and to glorify God. That's what he's doing. That's what his purpose is. But he wants to know what the plan is for today. See, that's where we miss it. We may think, okay, I know what my purpose is, you know, my purpose in life is to glorify God. And in order to do that, I need to live a life that is worthy of the calling to which I've been called, which is to be a follower of God, not a pastor, but a follower of God. So I am to be a follower of God in my relationship to my wife, to my children, to my grandchildren, to my workplace, whatever that place may look like. That's 
the side effect of the purpose, which is to glorify God. But he didn't leave me here alone to do that. He saved me and brought me into this relationship, but then he gave me the Holy Spirit. So look how I'm following in the path of Jesus. I have the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit if you've acknowledged Christ as Lord and Savior. And you can, doesn't matter if it's early in the morning or not, but you can go to that place that you want to go and you can be united with the Father and with the Son who sits at the right hand of the Father through the power of the Holy Spirit who is within you. So now you're back into that communion. What do you do in that communion? Well, you worship him, you thank him for who he is, you praise him for what he's done, but then you say, okay, Lord, new day. What's the plan for today? I know my purpose, now I need to know my plan. Jesus had a passion for the presence of the Father. Why wouldn't he? He came from there. He knew exactly what it was, and he missed it. And so he wanted to celebrate any opportunity he had to be there. So he had this passion for the presence of God. And he had a passion to know what God wanted him to do today. Do you have that kind of passion? You know, we all have our own little passions, little things that drive us that we want to make sure we get done. Some of us are ADHD, some of us are just OCD, and uh, others of us are just crazy. You know, so we're going to go and do whatever it needs to get done, and we're, we're passionate about it. Over the last few years, God has been moving into me to become more passionate about his presence, about getting with him, about understanding the work of the Holy Spirit. And so he's, he's transferring my passions to make them more like him. Now, I want you to think of a passion, anyone that you have, and I want to share one of mine with you, which is a real mundane passion, but it'll illustrate for you the point I'm making. For the last six years, my family, which includes three daughters, one son-in-law, one wife, and four grandkids, we all get together one time a year. It's really nice. And we're at this place that has big swimming pools and a beach and all of that, and, and they have this shelter that's called a palapa, and it's a grass-covered shelter that has a bed under it and chairs under it so you can sit there and be protected from the sun and enjoy the, the beach and enjoy the pool. But to have one of those, you have to be passionate because there are 2,500 to 3,000 people at this resort, and there are only 56 palapas. So to get one, you have to be in line when you sign up for one for tomorrow. It starts at 7.30 is the sign-up. So you and 3,000 other people are going to get in line. But to get in line and make sure you get a spot, you have to have passion. Okay? It starts at 7.30. The latest I was in line was 6 o'clock. I got up at 5.15, took a quick shower, got my bathing suit on and my top on and started out the door my grandson, 10 years old. I want to go with you, Papa. And okay, if you can catch me, because with my knee this year just being replaced, I had a scooter. <laughs> I loved it. You know, come on, boy. <laughs> Only time I'll ever be able to outrun him. 
One of the six days, I was first. The rest of them, I was no further back than eighth. And there you have an opportunity to meet people, to talk with people, to find out all about them. It's a great opportunity for ministry. But it's a passion I had that I could do this to provide this place for my family so they would have security and safety. And I mean, when I went to bed at night, everybody would say, you don't have to do this. You know, yes, I do. This is a passion. We're going to have this thing. So I have this incredible passion for the palapa. My wife actually gave me a model palapa. I have it in my office, and every day I go in, you know, and I read my Bible, and I touch my palapa. <laughs> Don't you wish we had passion for the presence of God like I do for the presence of a palapa? That, that I would wake early, and this is what he's been doing to me, and he wakes me up now like 2 o'clock in the morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and all I know this is I'm supposed to read my Bible. Now, that doesn't make me holier than you. None of us are holier than one another. We're all exactly the same. But it's just this passion that's come upon me that there's something he has for me, and I need to know what it is for the next day because I can get up and know my purpose, but if I don't know the plan, I'm going to do my plan. And my plan is nowhere near what his plan is. That's the second point. God's purpose is better than your plan. Look what the disciples did. Simon is Peter, as you know. The rest of the disciples, they go to look for him. When they find him, they're, they're yelling out. They're accusing him, really. They're saying, you know, what in the world are you doing out here? Because everyone back there is looking for you because there's a whole new group of people that need you to come and heal them. Why are you wasting your time out here? That's what's implied. Now, what were they really trying to do? Make their passion his passion. Don't let someone tell you that this is what God wants you to do. Because let me tell you, friends, God will tell you what God wants you to do. If you're in his presence and if you are seeking him while he may be found and you're asking and seeking and knocking, what does it say? says, would a father give a stone to a son who asks for bread? No, neither will your father in heaven. But if you ask of him, he will give you his Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit's the one that guides us every single day. If we yield to him, otherwise it's our plan. Well, I'd much rather follow his plan than my plan. I tried my plan a few times. It didn't work at all. No, never works. But his plan works. So don't let anyone distract you from his plan. They wanted Jesus' plan to be all about miracle working. But let me tell you, that's not why he came. He didn't come to do miracles. The miracles support what he said. Every time Christ would say something, he would back it up. And he'd back it up with a miracle, with a sign, with a wonder. He would cast out a demon here or there. But that was a side effect to what he was saying because his word is truth. So everything that he says to you from his word is truth. And when you take that truth and you, you put it into yourself and you let it build and the Holy Spirit just starts helping you, he will say, okay, this is a plan for today. Walk in it. What's the plan? Obedience. 
having your eyes open, your spiritual eyes open to see opportunity to do ministry to other people, to share the name of Jesus, to build the kingdom of God, to glorify him. That's why we're here, to share the kingdom, expand it, share Jesus, and glorify him. But there are those who want to move you away from your purpose. There's a story in 1 Kings. It's the story of an unnamed prophet that God chose to go to bring condemnation against Jeroboam the king. And he said, now when you go, you do not eat anything and you do not stop along the way. You go this way and you come back this way. The prophet did exactly as he was told. But on his return, he stopped by a servant of an older prophet. And the older prophet had told the servant, say this, God wants you to come and have dinner with me and rest for the night. And the unnamed prophet said, well, I can't do that because God told me to do this, to keep going and not eat. The servant of the old prophet said, yes, but God told my prophet that you're supposed to do this. He said, oh, okay. So he goes, and they have a wonderful meal together, and they fellowship together. And when it's all said and done, the old prophet says this, because you disobeyed God, your life will be forfeited tonight. And as he left, he was killed by a bear and a lion. The bear and the lion just stood over that body. They didn't do anything else, but they killed him. Now, that scares me to death. Well, not, not the bear and the lion. It's the lion of Judah. God scares me because I think, okay, I don't want to be disobedient, God. If you tell me to do something, please give me the strength and the power to do that. And I'll yield to you. I'll surrender so that I can get it done. No matter how hard it is, I'm going to do this. Because I don't want to forfeit my life because I've forfeited my obedience. I just want God to direct me, to show me the right way to go. I don't want anybody to come to me and say, God wants you to do this. I'll take it, that information, but I'm going to search the scriptures, I'm going to search my heart, and I'm going to go to those whom I trust and say, do you really think this is what God wants me to do? Years ago, when God called Linda and me to leave a church we were pastoring, and he said, I'll tell you where you're going after you leave. That's a step of faith. And I said, okay, Lord. So we left the church. But before that, I went to the leaders of the denomination of which I was one of the founders, and I said, this is what God's calling me to do. And they said, well, we'll decide whether or not you can do this. You see, I had a purpose. I had a vision. God had said to me, this is what I want you to do. And they said, we'll decide whether it's that or whether you should go eat with the old prophet. And I said to them, with all respect, I didn't come here to get your permission. I came here to get your blessing. If you don't have the blessing, I still have the permission. And I left. And we've been following what God has called us to do ever since. And many of you have too. Again, it's not about being in full-time ministry in a church. It's about being in full-time ministry because we're all in the same arena. We're all ministering in the name of Jesus. We're all saved. We all have the same Holy Spirit in us. And what you have to be careful is that person who comes along and says to you, well, now, wait a minute. Maybe you should do this. 
If God wants me to do something else, because I'm spending time with him every day and dependent upon his Holy Spirit, he will tell me what it is I'm supposed to do. Then I'll get confirmation from those whom I trust. So Jesus is looking at these disciples who've come for him. He's saying, you guys really don't get it. He said, you want me to alter my plan? Now, what if he had responded like this? What if he had said, okay, here's how I'm going to alter the plan. I'm going to go back. I'm going to heal everybody in the town. There's not going to be a sick person ever again in this town. And I'm just going to stay there. I'm going to live at Peter's mother-in-law's home, be there forever until I die. But I'm going to die of old age because I'm not going to the cross because that was the plan. But you want me to just heal people. So, you know, as many people as can make it here in the next three and a half years, I'll heal them all. But your souls won't be saved. You'll all perish as you deserve and you'll all go to hell. Is that what you want me to do? You know, no, not at all. This is one of my favorite answers in scripture that Jesus is about to give. Because these disciples now have, have tried to change him off course and look what he says. The third point. He says this. God's purpose must be lived out by you. Jesus said, let's go somewhere else. That's his response. He doesn't even respond to the actual question that they're asking. He says, let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. Now look at this. That is why I have come. That's why he came. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, driving out demons. That's why Jesus came. He came to preach the kingdom. He came to proclaim truth so that everyone here would receive that truth, not as a concept or an idea, but the actual truth that who Jesus is, who he said he is. And then he backed it up with miracles. In recent years, there has been a confusion of preaching and teaching. I hear it all the time. It's, it's a subtle difference that someone will say, oh, are you teaching this morning? And I don't have time to go into it to say, no, I'm not teaching, I'm preaching. They're two different disciplines. They're two different words in Scripture. Didache, you've heard that, didactic, a type of preaching. And kerygma, which is proclamation. Those who preach the Word are filled with the Holy Spirit, as you are, but are given the words to be able to speak. Because he said, don't worry about what you're going to say. When you open your mouth on my behalf, I will speak. So preaching is the proclamation of Jesus Christ, him crucified, risen, and returning. That's what preaching is. There's a little bit of teaching in every preaching. Jesus went about preaching and teaching. He did both. And he did miracles, which says to me, the miraculous should follow preaching and teaching. I see it when I go overseas. When my wife and I travel to the many different countries we've been to, I have seen the healing power of God work. I've prayed over people, and with that little faith that I had, that doubt that this would work, I've actually seen people's lives change as a result of that prayer. Not because of me, but because of God. So I ask, why aren't we seeing the miracles? Is it because there's no preaching? No, there's preaching. If you hear me preach, you hear Alan preach, you hear Aaron preach, you hear Eric preach, you hear Jeff preach. You know, anybody that comes on this platform is going to preach the word of God to you 
Of that you can be assured. And that's what God is honoring. And I believe in our midst there are those who are experiencing the miraculous. That there are things happening in your lives. And you don't necessarily know how to respond to that or how to react to that. But I long for the day when the Spirit of God moves upon the sick, heals them, casts out the demons, because that's what's supposed to follow preaching. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, there's something you need to learn. I came here not to be isolated in one area of the world, but I want to go to those 200 villages that are around. They don't have walls around them. And I want to go into those, and I want to preach the kingdom of God. I want to preach myself as the king of that kingdom. And then I want to validate that with the miraculous. Wow. That's great, God. What does that have to do with you and with me? We are called to preach the word, not just from a platform of a pastor, but you and I are all a priesthood of believers. So we are called to preach the word in our daily life, whatever our calling may be. We're all the same. And God moves in the midst of his people, whether they're in farming or in business or, or working at a factory or a mom that's raising kids or a dad that's raising kids or whatever it may be. This is your field this is your village that God is calling you to, to be able to expand the kingdom, to share the gospel. But to know what to do on a daily basis, here's the challenge God's putting out to you. Would you find a time each day, whether it's early morning or not, and go into a place where you can seek his presence, ask for a refreshing of his Holy Spirit, and then say, Lord... Throughout this day, I yield to you. Would you show me what you want to do? Show me the power of your word. Do the miraculous in me or through me. But let me know, Lord, that I'm walking right where I'm supposed to be. Because when you know your purpose and you know his plan, you can have an exciting life. Because you got a great God. you got a powerful God. Do you remember the story of when he let... Uh, they let a man down through the roof, and Jesus said what to him? Your sins are forgiven. And everybody went, you can't say that. You'd only have to be God to say that. And he says, well, that you might understand, which is it easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or pick up your mat and walk? He said, so pick up your mat and walk, and he did. Everybody confuses that, because let me tell you what he was really saying. The hardest thing to do is to say your sins are forgiven, because nobody can forgive sins but God. But he always backed his word up with action. You and I need to become more action-oriented, following the man of action, doing what he's called us to do. Because that's when we can glorify God, no matter what it is. A little simple illustration I'll close with. A few nights ago, my wife and I went out to dinner. We met at a restaurant in separate vehicles. There's a woman in front of me getting in line, and she said, uh, well, this is my husband's 78th birthday, so I need a special thing to take place. And the lady said, sure, we'll help you. Well, after dinner was over, Linda went out to her car, left, and I was walking to mine, and I saw the lady, and I saw her husband, whom I had not seen before. And they were approaching their car that was right next to my car. And the Lord just said to me, greet them in my name, bless them in my name. 
So as I'm walking up, I said, hey, happy birthday. And he turned around, how'd you know it was my birthday? <laughs> now, I didn't want to say, well, I'm a prophet of God. <laughs> I said, I heard your wife when she told him it was your birthday, and that kind of eased the tension a little bit. And I said, but hey, listen, God bless you. As God wanted to say, he wants you to be blessed today. He started tearing up, and I said, so have a great day, and I walked away. And I felt like I had been obedient in the tiniest of ways when God prompted me and said, say this to him, and I did it. You know, would that all of my days would be filled with obedience like that. We have a great and mighty God, don't we? All right, we're going to stand up and we're going to worship this, great, worship this great God because he is everything we could imagine. Let's stand and let's begin to worship. <laughs> 